0: March has arrived, and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to BetOnline and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest that starts March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action and with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong, so, whatever your passion is, bet online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code, BlueWire. It's all one word, BlueWire, for your 50% sign up bonus. Remember, that's BetOnline, B E T O N L I N E dot A G. BetOnline, Bet online, your online sportsbook. Expert. Welcome to episode 34 of the Michael Rothstein show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. The combine's over. Free agency is less than two weeks away by the time this podcast is hitting your ears. And there is a bunch to talk about. So we've decided to do a pod bag episode of the show featuring all of your questions and honestly let's really just jump right into it obviously there's going to be some things that happen potentially even between now when i'm recording this on wednesday morning and thursday morning when this drops and there's going to be a bunch that happens between now and the start of the new league year on March 18th. That includes some questions on Darius Slay, some re-signings, and my guess is once the tampering period hits, you'll start to hear some things about what the Lions might do and maybe where some Lions free agents who were Lions end up going in the future. All of that's coming up in the next couple of weeks, so let's just jump right into it. Raymond Nunzoff at RayRay1222 asks, what's taking so long for a trade slash extension on Darius Slay? Does the CBA have anything to do with it? And Raymond, it's a fair question and I think one a lot of people are asking right now, but right now to me, it doesn't carry too much weight yet. Because remember, any deals that are done now, trade-wise, won't be official until the new league year starts on March 18th. So as long as Detroit knows what its plan is by 4 p.m. on March 18th, it should be in pretty good shape with that. And to me, the Lions don't necessarily move on Slay until they know they've got his replacement lined up. That's obviously just my opinion, and who knows, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, they'll have made a move on Darius Slay and... This becomes moot and I look silly, but it would make sense to me, considering the tampering period, that it comes much closer to that 4 p.m. on March 18th window if they do trade him. Because remember, too, this isn't a trade or release scenario with Darius Slay. Like, the Lions could easily choose if they don't get the right offer to keep him, and, and maybe not even extend him and make him play out the last year of his contract. So, to me, you'd want someone like Byron Jones, Chris Harris, James Barrett, Bradbury, or Logan Ryan locked up before you send Slay somewhere else. My bet is if Slay does get dealt, it's within the tampering period or soon after the new league year starts, and that's just based on logic, although logic, as we all know, has been wrong before. Remember, Detroit has made a bunch of moves right at the new league year deadline in the past, whether it was cutting DeAndre Levy and Eric Ebron or trading for Haloti Nada. Obviously, not all of those moves were Bob Quinn moves, but it's been a theme in the past. The CBA likely does play a role to hitting the other part of your question as well, particularly in an extension situation, because if I'm Bob Quinn, I'd like to have an idea of what rules and situations, parameters might shift in a new CBA before signing a player approaching 30 to a long-term extension. But it's not clear how much of a role it will truly take in this case. As far as an extension, the Lions know what Slay wants. Slay has made it clear what he wants. It's up to them whether or not they want to pay it. As Slay has told me many times, including on this podcast, He would be fine playing his whole career in Detroit, but this is also about taking care of his family and getting his worth. And by the way, if you haven't listened to the Darius Slay episode, it's episode number 31, and you should because he's pretty open on this entire topic and so much more. John Heinz at John J. Heinz asks, besides the cornerback market, where do you see Detroit being active in free agency? Well, I imagine the Lions will be active at guard if for nothing else than bringing someone in who could potentially start or compete with a rookie drafted to try and win that job. Probably not in the top tier, because if you were going to go there, unless you really love Joe Thune or Brandon Scherf, and who knows if Brandon Scherf even gets the free agency, why wouldn't you have invested in Graham Glasgow? He's reliable, you know who he is, and you know what you're getting from him, and he's already built chemistry with other offensive linemen that the Lions have. But a mid-tier option might work if you're not going to re-sign Glasgow, which there's no indication at this point the Lions are going to go that direction. Who those players are, that remains to be seen. But don't be surprised if the Lions bring back either Odea Boucher or Kenny Wiggins, or maybe even both, and they have Bo Benchval as well. When I've spoken to Kenny Wiggins recently, he has said that he wants to come back, and there's been some interest there from the Lions' end as well. So we'll see what happens, but he's also coming off the torn biceps. Defensive tackle is almost a given at this point, whether it's re-signing A'shaun Robinson or Mike Daniels or bringing in new players. Considering the lack of experience or quality depth Detroit has at the position, at least one veteran is almost definitely coming in. It's just a matter of who that is. Don't know whether or not the Lions would go the re-signing route with either one of those players for varying reasons, but... It's going to be something to watch. Running back is a possibility, although if it were me, I'd look toward the draft, especially since the Lions' last two ventures at veterans failed, and Garrett Blunt and C.J. Anderson. Plus, it's a pretty good running back class. But if a Rex Burkhead or Deion Lewis gets cut by New England or Tennessee – and they all of a sudden are available, it would potentially make sense to me. Don't forget with Burkhead specifically, he worked with Lions running back coach Kyle Kasky in Cincinnati, and Matt Patricia has some familiarity with him as well from one year in New England together. I figure the Lions could add some depth pieces as well across the board at a bunch of positions, and I wouldn't be shocked if they went after a linebacker as well. Backup quarterback will be a position to watch as We've covered as ad nauseum before, especially after what happened last season with Matthew Stafford and more on quarterbacks in a little bit. Nate Simons, who's at what Simons says, asks, do I think Bradley Onye's combine performance hurt him? I didn't think he'd run a 4.940, but maybe he drops down draft boards and could be another piece the Lions could pick up later. Maybe that's maybe the best answer I've got for you, although I don't know if it hurt him for the Lions staff. Detroit worked with Anye with for a week at the Senior Bowl, and he was pr- impressive throughout the process, including in the actual game. Will the Lions weigh that more than a 40-yard dash time? Perhaps. Production throughout a college career often doesn't lie, and Anye was incredibly productive. The 4.9340 time could scare some teams off, which means he might drop, and that would actually be beneficial for Detroit because then maybe they could, as you said, get him later. Personally, I like him as a player and think he could fit well in Patricia's scheme. So if I'm the Lions, I'm kind of hoping that teams maybe overlook him. The Detroit Leons, who is at PennLed, ask If we sign a decent quarterback in free agency, not the lower level guys that we've rotated through since Sean Hill, will it hurt our chances in a trade down with Tua? So I think I know what you're asking. And by the way, I don't necessarily think the Lions had complete low-level options there. Jeff Driscoll was okay when he played. Dan Orlovsky did what he needed to do for the Lions, so I wouldn't say it was lower-level the entire time, just not your upper level. But anyway, as far as Tua goes, I'm still in the camp that I don't believe the Lions take him at number three. I just really don't buy that. They have far too many other needs and could snag an elite defensive prospect at number three in Jeffrey Okuda or Isaiah Simmons, both of whom performed extremely well at the Combine. I still think that's the direction they go. Signing a decent quarterback in free agency will cost a bit, but it would also give Detroit two things. More insurance in case Matthew Stafford gets hurt again. And also a player who can give a rookie develop more m- developmental quarterback like, oh, I don't know, Washington State's Anthony Gordon, who's been on this podcast and worked with the Lions at the Senior Bowl, time to grow. Again, if you didn't listen to the podcast with Anthony Gordon, you should go back and listen to that. Don't forget David Blau is a developmental option as well. I don't think that Lions really ever had plans on actually playing him last year even after Stafford got hurt. It was only once they were basically out of the playoff picture and then Jeff Driscoll got injured that Blau really got a shot. And he was okay, considering he was an undrafted free agent and really was thrown in late and didn't have a training camp to learn the playbook or an offseason to learn the playbook. I really thought he was all right. I'd be curious to see what he's able to do with more time. So I don't get the sense they've completely ruled out developing him either, but combination of a higher level free agent and a rookie would also not surprise me at all jeremy friedrichs at friedrichsjk asks michael do you think that houston's dj reader is a realistic target for the lions or do you think they'll be too hesitant to pay too much for a nose tackle after what happened with damon harrison well there are way different scenarios here jeremy than the harrison situation reader's 25 he'll be 26 in july so he's entering the prime of his career Snacks Harrison was over 30 and dealt with injuries throughout last season. So the cases are completely different. Plus, the Lions traded for Harrison and they would sign Reeder. Reader is interesting to me for many reasons. He would have some familiarity with the patriots base concept since he played in Houston under Bill O'Brien and Romeo Cornell. He's a space eater in the middle and has enough juice in him to occasionally get into the backfield. I think he's a player that would make sense in Detroit and could be worth going after. The potential rub with him is what he might end up costing. Spotrak has a market value of $11.9 million annual salary on him. Detroit was willing to pay that for a defensive tackle since it's close to what Harrison would have gotten in cap space this year. And you're getting a younger player entering their prime in reader. The question is whether or not Detroit would want to spend that much money again in that spot for a player, especially when they do have other needs. But... If they decide that that's where they really want to make a splash in free agency, as we were talking about above, then maybe that's what they do. And who knows, this is a situation that could be directly tied to what they do to Dar- with Darius Slay, because if you keep Slay and let him play out the contract, then maybe you use some of that money to sign DJ Reader, where if you trade Slay and sign a high-level corner, maybe you don't have that money to necessarily sign Reader as well. It all is a giant jigsaw puzzle piece that Bob Quinn needs to figure out. But if they do decide they want to spend that money on a defensive tackle, to me, DJ Reader would be potentially a really strong choice. Jesse Banks, I'm just not going to read your Twitter handle because it's too long with too many numbers, asks, what is the Lions' thoughts on not taking a chance on Tua? I understand the need, but... A quarterback who can potentially make plays in the NFL like Tua doesn't fall in your lap every year. And you're absolutely right. I hit on this above with the first Tua question, but this one has a bit more nuance. To me, it's a very situational situation, and that's a mouthful. If this were a front office coaching staff in year one or even year two, knowing they had time to build, I could see them taking Tua. If Tua didn't have much of an injury history, I could see them taking Tua. But this Lions staff doesn't have the luxury of time. And two, it has the injury is three, he has, even if he gets a completely clean bill of health, which everyone is hoping for. And I think he has the potential to be a really good NFL player. And while the draft is almost all about potential with the nod to some production, the Lions have a proven quarterback in Matthew Stafford, who by all accounts is good to go for 2020 and in theory beyond. So to me, the Lions have too many needs elsewhere and could damp a potential future all pro defensive player at number three or number five or number six in Jeffrey Okuda or Isaiah Simmons or even maybe Derek Brown. And obviously if Chase Young is there, which probably means Tua is gone, then the Lions should sprint to the podium to get that card in. Covered that over and over again on this podcast. Those reasons, and remember, Matt Patricia is a defensive coach as well, and might want to take an elite defensive player so that's why i think tua ultimately does not end up becoming a lion but could definitely end up being the number three pick in the draft all of that said sure if the lions took tua i can understand the reasoning i just think they have bigger needs and lastly bounce back 2020 who's at the lions fan asks who has the potential to fall to number 35 that most don't expect A.J. Espenza, Yatoro Matos are those two options? It's an interesting question, and players fall every year. Remember, A.J. Robinson, when he was drafted, was thought of as a potential first-round pick, and he fell. I don't think A.J. Espinenza necessarily drops that far, although if he did, he would make a ton of sense for Detroit as a guy who could be a really good pass rusher and potentially play inside and outside. The 5.04 second 40 time and 17 bench press reps at the Combine weren't great, and maybe, as we were talking about, before with players with Bradley Onye of maybe getting pushed down because of bad combine numbers maybe that is just enough to do that Yator Gross Matos could fall to 35 as well potentially and he'd be a player to watch there but I'm not sure the Lions would go in that direction I'm just not as high on him as some others are a player like Zach Bond the linebacker from Wisconsin if he were to fall to number 35 he would make a ton of sense to me for multiple reasons The Lions worked with him at the Senior Bowl as well, and he's versatile enough that Matt Patricia can move him around enough. There also will be a receiver or two that falls, likely because of the massive amount of them in this year's class. The Lions have to take a receiver at some point. It's tough to predict which of them might do that, other than Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb won't be there. I think everyone understands that. But predicting which one at this point would be a fool's errand. But one will, or two. It happens every year. I doubt any of the quarterbacks that you're thinking of necessarily fall, but 35 could be the range for, say, Jacob Eason. There are going to be a bunch of quality options at 35. That's the only thing I feel 100% sure about when you're talking about 35. And one last note on the 35 spot with maybe one more prospect to think of. And maybe I'm just a sucker for comparisons here. But remember that Jalen Smith... A lock first round prospect from Notre Dame before a horrific knee injury sent him falling down the draft was taken at number 34. There's another Notre Dame prospect who had a horrific leg injury that basically took him from being a first round prospect to a question mark. His name is Julian Aquara. He's a strong level edge rusher. And realistically, you're probably not talking about him at 35 if he doesn't get hurt last year. Perhaps Maybe you're even talking at him about him in the top 10. It worked out well for Dallas last year. And don't forget, the last name is real familiar too, because Julian O'Quara's older brother, Romeo O'Quara, is one of Detroit's defensive ends right now. So just a guy to maybe watch out for as this process goes along. That's all I'm saying. And by the way, it worked out well for Dallas with Jalen Smith. That's it for today's show. Thanks as always to Blue Wire and Regents Field for hosting this podcast. Thanks as well to my producers, Stephen Arkenal and David Woodley. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein. And don't forget to subscribe and download this podcast wherever you listen to us. Leave us a five-star review. Tell us who you want to hear from. And we will do our best to accommodate to those needs. Also, don't forget to ask questions for the pod bag. Use the hashtag Rothshow or just shoot me a note on Twitter and or Instagram and I will get it into the next episode that we have questions. That episode will come on Monday and we'll chat with you then.